Dear family members and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. She came into my office wringing her hands anxiously. With tears, she let out this big sigh and said, can I and my three boys join your church? We've so enjoyed getting to know the staff and being a part of the wonderful Sunday school and the Bible studies and being able to sing in the choirs. It just feels like home. Well, of course, I said. I began to pull up a chair for her, and she sat down with a sigh, staring at the floor. And I said, well, first of all, <laughs> it's not my church. It's Christ church. It is the church of Christ together with these wonderful people who are stewards of God's Word and hands for those in need, the priesthood of all believers. But that being said, I sense there's something heavy on your heart. Softly, she responded, well, since the boys and I have moved here to the Twin Cities from Wisconsin, we just can't seem to find a congregation where we feel that we're accepted. What do you mean, I asked. Well, I haven't mentioned this to you before, but one of my boys was immersed. One was sprinkled, and another was dipped. I smiled as I knew she wasn't talking about chocolate with being dipped and sprinkled. You mean they've been baptized, right? That's wonderful. Well, not really, she said, because I've been talking to some pastors in the community, and they've said that since the boys haven't been baptized the right way, we can't join their congregation. I paused. So how did they explain the right way, or better yet, what baptism means? She looked up from the floor and said, did you ever see Fiddler on the Roof? I nodded. Well, like the lead character in that movie, Tevya, these pastors I've talked to don't really seem to know the meaning, but they just simply say, it's our tradition, tradition, tradition. Well, listening to all the pastor's litany of misplaced pronouns like my church or our tradition, my heart ached for her. I couldn't believe how poorly she'd been treated. I told her in baptism, it's not the amount of water that is used, but it is God's Word together with the water that claims people baptized into God's family forever because it's God's tradition. And so we read through a few scripture passages regarding baptism, and a couple weeks later, she and her three boys became members of Emmanuel Lutheran Church on Larpenter in St. Paul. Now, on the one hand, traditions are very important in providing the roots for us, uh, whether it's as a social or church community the roots that uh, give us a strong foundation and that can give us guidance into the future. But if traditions are just understood as something just passed down mindlessly from one generation to another, 
without really knowing what they mean and who they are meant for and who they are to serve, they become empty and they become often hurtful and if we follow them just slavishly, which is that issue in our gospel text for today. But first, we must step back for just a moment to God's covenant relationship with His people Israel. For when God revealed the law to Moses, which we know as the first five books of the Old Testament or the Torah, it was meant to be a gift. God intended that His law, including the Ten Commandments, would serve and guide protecting His people Israel as they sojourned through the Exodus during the time that they were in exile in Babylon. And initially, it was received as such, as witnessed by Psalm 119. Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day long. But then, as is true of human nature, some tinkering began to take place, and the people of Israel began to think, boy, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on every day, and are we sure that this law is going to be able to cover all of our questions? So over time, a second tradition called the tradition of the elders or the oral tradition was developed, which, called, which is called the Mishnah. The reasoning here was because God's law seemed maybe too ambiguous to govern their community in daily decisions. So let's construct a handbook prescribing in infinite detail how the intent of God's law ought to be fulfilled, including, get this, 40 different ways in this handbook that looks like something of an old Chicago directory. It weighs about 50 pounds. 40 pounds, or excuse me, 40 ways in which you can wash your hands perfectly and um, without blemish. Now, think about this. When you stretch things out into all kinds of details with all the ifs, ands, buts, the loopholes begin to appear. So now in our gospel lesson for Mark chapter 7, Jesus fills these loopholes with some dynamite, exposing how God's law to honor father and mother, for example, had come to be excused by a kind of IRS write-off called Corban. That is where children could say, I'm giving this money to God and to the temple that I have. And so, sorry, Mom and Dad, um, I'm not able to help you out with any financial concerns. So here is exactly what you heard in the first lesson about Moses warning the people about adding and subtracting to God's law. But now make no mistake. The Pharisees and scribes were well-intentioned in keeping the law, as well as feeling the need to add to it, especially given their concern for the Jewish people not to become just assimilated into all kinds of other traditions like the Greco-Roman culture that was around them, losing their religious identity. Thus, it makes sense that they were very concerned that Jesus' teaching was in keeping not only with God's law, but theirs. So they came, as you heard in our gospel text, some 90 miles on foot from Jerusalem 
to investigate, and lo and behold, they caught the disciples dirty-handed. Listen again to verse 5. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? I mean, now this is my addition here. Were you guys born in a barn? And Jesus said, no, but I was on December 24th. And so with a stick of dynamite in verses 6 and 7, Jesus responds, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites with your self-righteous piety and loophole teachings as it's written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. So simply stated, Jesus was attacking a system that put rules and regs before human need. The commandment of God, however, was that the claim of human love should come first. But before we get too smug here, we should take a, a look at our own history in the Christian church in the time of the Reformation when the authority of the Pope and the tradition of the early church fathers was put on equal footing with the authority of Scripture. So, rather than serving as God's gift of guidance and protection to reflect God's glory, the law slowly became wrangled and mixed into human measuring sticks, duping people into thinking that they could become perfect by themselves, following their laws. Thus it was that the Pharisees and scribes in Jesus' day believed they could keep the law squeaky clean, with clean hands perhaps, but newsflash, their hearts were anything but. Unclean hearts, the real matter. And so came the response of Jesus in line with the prophetic tradition of Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah, calling people to a purity of heart. In verses 14 and 15, if you have your Bibles open, it reads, Hear me, all of you, says Jesus, Understand there's nothing outside a person which by going into them can defile them, but the things which come out are what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of a person, come evil thoughts, murder, envy, slander, and pride. All these from within. You see, Jesus came to turn things inside out, revealing the dirt, and not only under our fingernails, but far more importantly, in our hearts, causing us to finally realize that we cannot fully keep God's law or come before Him in true holiness. Centuries later, William Shakespeare was onto this in his play, Julius Caesar, when he wrote, The fault, dear Brodus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. And yet, like the Pharisees and scribes, we don't like what we see. And so taking the law into our own supposed clean hands, we pounded his, that is Jesus, onto a dirty cross. My friends, Jesus calls us anew this day to be more attentive to what really matters as a nation, family, and individuals, and to teach our children as in our time consecrated to do so, not only in a Reformation hall during 
this time of Scripture first, but in our homes as well, to be set as a light upon a hill, or to use the language of St. James in our second lesson, to be doers of the Word and not only hearers. We cannot, like so many modern-day pilots, simply try to wash our hands while there's so many crucifixions going on in the world today. Jesus also wanted the Pharisees and all who had ears to hear to know that it's not just on externals, that so much of our culture today as in His gave focus, but to understand that it's from deep down in the heart where the problem lies. So as the old saying has it, don't judge a book by its cover. I came to understand this uh, a couple weeks ago as Kathy and I made our way from Denver back to Sioux Falls. And about every 90 miles, the lights would go on and the alarm in the car saying there's low tire pressure. So I would go about 90 miles, fill it back up, get it where it needed to be, go another 90 miles and the lights would come on. And after about three or four times, I just said nuts to this. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's going to go flat on me. So we were near Kearney, Nebraska, and we pulled over and I called AAA and they said, the best we can do is put that little donut on the back of your car, but you have to go and be restricted to 50 miles an hour. And I thought, man, there's 400 miles yet to go. It's 7 o'clock at night. I don't want to be pulling into Sioux Falls at 4 in the morning or some crazy thing. So Kathy gets on the phone and I think Walmart's on her speed dial. And she called a fellow who said, bring your car in. I can stay another hour. I know you're probably thinking we're shutting down in about five minutes, but I'll be here for you. Just come on in. So we went to Walmart, and I saw this guy. I think the Vikings should, uh, should probably uh, draft this guy. He's about, I don't know, six foot eight, about 300 pounds. He looked like he'd s stepped off the album cover of a ZZ Top album with a beard down to here and big pythons and tats up and down his arms, and he just seemed kind of like a rough and tough character, intimidating. He said his name was Mike, and I called him Big Mike. So he patched our tire. He stayed for a whole hour to do so. And I said, how is it that you're staying for an extra hour? And he said, well, I'm here because my son is at home taking care of my wife who's been bedridden for a year, or for two years. And I told him about Kathy and her diagnosis of ALS, and he just said, Brother, trust in the Lord. Know that God is with you all the way. So he fixed his, our tire, and as I walked back out to the parking lot, to the car, I could hear these footsteps behind me. It was Big Mike. And he said, Can I pray for your wife, Kathy? And I said, sure. And so he got down on his knees in the parking lot with his big hand and put it on her shoulder and prayed, and Scripture just flowed out of his heart. And it flowed down Kathy and my cheeks with tears as well. And as we pulled out of the parking lot, I said to Kathy, I said, 
there's some grease from Mike's hand on your shoulder. And she said, don't worry about it. I don't want to wash it. I want it to be there for as long as I live. And so we pray, O Lord, create in us a clean heart and put in us a right spirit. Amen.